This week's episode of Pop Culture Reference is brought to you by the UWM Professional Cinema Society's new member meeting. This is going to be this Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the third floor of the UWM Union. Come by and join us, ask us some questions, and we will have some free pizza. Listen to that sales pitch. What can I say? Broadcasting live from the Springfield Dog Track on Christmas Eve, it's Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things in pop culture. I'm, I'm Ricardo. Hi, hello. I'm Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. How do you do, gentlemen? What's up? It's Christmas time. It's it's Christmas Eve right now as we're recording. <laughs> Wonderful. Real quick, before we get started on today's episode of the show, we do want to issue an apology for the tardiness of last week's episode. We recorded it on time, but because we are in college, with it has been finals time. Finals, man. They mess up everybody. We yeah. have not had time to, we, to edit it yet. It will be up by the time this episode goes out. It'll be a nice double double header. Yeah. The only thing that we're really late on is Mandalorian, because news is news. Yeah. But So we are sorry for that. We know that some of our listeners reached out to us and asked where the latest episode of the podcast was, and that's why. We just haven't had time to edit it, so we're so sorry about that, but... Think of it this way. You get two. It's a, it's a Christmas miracle. Exactly. It's a, it's a double feature. Love it. All right, so let's jump into news. Uh, there's only a couple of things that I've got this week, but one of them I thought I'd like to hear your thoughts on. Bob Iger recently <laughs> said that he wants to buy... James Bond, that he's interested in buying the James Bond franchise. Bob Iger, for those of you who are not aware, CEO of Disney. Bob needs to cool it. He really does, I think. I Like, I don't know. It feels like a little out of place. I don't want a Disney'd up 007. No, I don't you know, know. because it's going to yeah. be so safe, and it's going to yeah, be... Yeah, like, I know this is Daniel Craig's last hurrah here with um, No Time to Die, but the tone of James Bond has taken so such, like, a darker... Yeah. Way more messed up than, than like, you know, like when it was Connery, you know, screwing women and drinking martinis all the time. He's, I mean, Daniel Craig is still doing that, but he's sad about it. And it's, it's very, <laughs> he's uh, still doing that, but he's not enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Both he, the character and Daniel Craig, the actor. Ex- he, he wakes up in a bed with a Bond girl and he's like, oh, no, my life. <laughs> this is horrible. Better have a beer at six in the morning. Exactly. But yeah, I don't I know. I think it's more the phrasing he used. That he that was made it by James no, Bond. made it super sinister. It's like, yeah, James Bond, I wouldn't mind buying that. Yeah, I guess. The, yeah, I don't know. Garrett, what do you think? I don't want Disney to buy any more stuff. I think Disney already has too much stuff. I know that's not exactly a controversial opinion. I'm a big proponent of the fact that I think they should move to doing one-off Bond movies. All of the Craig Bonds are so interconnected that I miss the one-off Bond adventures mm-hmm. that Bond was built on. Because a lot of the reason that Idris Elba has been so hesitant to do James Bond is he's like, I don't want to do five movies. Yeah, that's fair. Hiddleston doesn't want to do five movies. Mm. This way, if you're doing just one actor a movie, you could try whatever you want. Now that's an idea. And also, you like you are going to attract bigger names. You could try a really weird one. Like, Helen Mirren is James (laughs) Bond. Is she still called James Bond and we're not going to change it up? Like, Jamie Bond. Gene Bond. Gene Bond. Jane Bond. Jane Bond. That's probably. I believe that's the internet. Just call her 007 and call it a day, you know? That's the new one, I believe. Um. 
I should know this actor's name. She was Monica Rambeau in Captain Marvel. I believe the idea is that since Bond has retired since the end of Spectre in this new No Time to Die, that she is now 007. Oh, they're going to... Sh- oh, I Oh, yeah, I think that. I saw that. Like, I didn't see that. I love that. My news, actually, is um, a confirmation on one of my rec centers. Uh, I think it was the last rec center. I, I said that there was rumors and leaks going around about the Resident Evil 3 remake, and that has been officially announced with a really, like, sleek, really nice reveal trailer. Video game. Resident Evil video game. Trailer. Oh, yes. God, not the movies. Not the <laughs> movies. It's the games. The biggest thing about that is just that it comes out in, like, four and a half months, which was... You know, a lot sooner than anybody thought it was going to be. I know you guys don't really play those games, but uh, maybe you should start. They've, like, remastered pretty much enough of them where you could play them all on a a PS4. Sorry, Garrett, never mind for you. But, (laughs) Ricardo, you you can jump on that. This next bit of news comes to us from Supersnake96 on Twitter. Um, I already sent this to you guys, and we discussed it a little bit. J.J. Abrams just did an interview where he says that he really wants Disney to release the non-special editions of the original trilogy, which I feel like Abrams is on enough of a corporate leash that he either knows something or Disney is putting out feelers for reaction on that. Because I feel like that's not something Abrams would just go rogue and say. Maybe they were just like, J.J., just like, you know... Do an interview, mention this, like, talk about how you'd love to see it again. Just, you know, they're just just generating a little hype at this point, I think. I also wonder if this means that because they've said they're taking a break from theatrical Star Wars for a while, in order to fill that box office void, I wonder if they're just going to release one non-special edition a year in theaters. I I wouldn't mind. I'd lo- I would. It's a complete cash grab, but I'm gonna be there. Yeah, like, like I've always wanted to have that experience of you know seeing as original as possible in a theater. I'm I'm there. Just make it. Anybody who's listening to this, who's in charge of that, I don't know why you are, but go stop listening to this and go make it happen because I want it. I want it so bad. And then there are two trailers two that trailers. we have to discuss. What are they? One is the Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer, which I did not watch. Neither did I. Wonder Woman 84. Oh, I didn't we watch have either three of those. trailers. In the Heights, baby. Oh, Get in the pumped. Heights. Yeah. Right. In the I'm Heights. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. Is the In the Heights one. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't see the In the Heights one either, so. Wait, have you not seen any of the three? No, I saw Wonder Woman. How did that look? Um, I think bad. it looks I'm pretty good. It. I lo- it's going to be very uh, Steve Trevor focused. Steve Trevor as in? Chris, Chris Pine. Pine. Who was famously exploded in the, the end of the, the last movie? How are and, they? Well, all of a sudden, she so she's in the eighties, but oh, he's back, and why is he back? And what happened? And is it time travel? Is it science? Is and it also, cloning? Kristen Wiig is there. Kristen Wiig. Oh yeah, she's the doing huntress. Her, doing her the cheetah. Thank yeah. you. Oh, excuse me, I'm thinking of Craven the Hunter. Excuse me. Doing her best Jim Carrey and Batman Forever big glasses. I'm there, baby. I'm there. You've sold me. I. It's all you had to say. Oh, just wait till she turns into a cat. Is that a thing? In, a real some, cheetah? in some of the comics, Cheetah is a physical, like, Cheetah woman, and sometimes it's just a suit. Yeah. She rides a bolt of lightning in this trailer. Yes, That's she cool. Does, I love there's that. There's lightning in the sky, and she uses the golden la- the lasso of truth. Sorry. Excuse you. To lasso the lightning and swing from it. That's Which dope. That's very cool. Metal AF. For real. That's like legit. And then, Ricardo, you saw the Ghostbusters trailer, so tell us yeah. about it. 
it's it's weirdly like it's mythical. You know? Oh, way. I don't want that. Wait, it's what? We <sighs> well, not just like it's. I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, it's just Stranger Things," but with the Ghostbusters, like it's a new crop. It's a new generation, and they find this like abandoned shed. What's in this shed? What? It's a proton pack. Oh, that's cool. Is it where Winston went to retire or whatever? Is it? I don't think it's explicit, but this one, I think the main girl of this trailer, she's got the big old glasses. I wonder who she's related to. Oh, Oh my God! Okay. I gotta go watch this trailer really soon. I can't believe you saying big old glasses just got both of us that (laughs) excited. Okay, you know how, like, ten years... It sounds like fan fiction. I was gonna say, you know how ten years ago it was a really big fad to make a fake reboot trailer for your favorite movie franchise from the 80s before the actual reboot culture took over? Right. It sounds like that. I I'm know, not yeah. discounting it. Yeah, it's, if it, if it's better than Ghostbusters 2016, I'll be there. If but it's better than Ghostbusters 2, I'll be there. Well, looks like we're not going because Ghostbusters <laughs> 2 is amazing, Garrett. I'm hoping for the level of quality that we got from Dark Fate. Yeah, yeah. okay, that would be great. I like Dark Fate was like a solid. very solid piece of work that fit in very well with everything that we, you know, grew up watching anyway. So if it can hit that mark, then I'm then I'm happy. Speaking of things that we grew up watching, let's move into our main segment. It's Christmas! Christmas time! What do we want to start with, gents? Well, we opened with The Simpsons. I think we should do that one. Well, okay, yeah. I, 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 picked, I picked the pilot episode of The Simpsons, which I forgot that it was a Christmas special for their opener, which I think well, was an interesting choice. Because The Simpsons started as shorts that were on the Tracy mm. Ullman show. I did not know And this. so they hired Matt Groening to do little intercut shorts, like 30-second, like two-minute shorts. And then those were so popular that they got spun off into a Christmas special that was the Simpsons Christmas special, which was so popular it got put to series. I didn't know any of that, like, truly, because it feels, when you watch it, it feels like there's already a good amount set up, like, for mm-hmm. the characters of the Simpsons. So rewatching it without any of that knowledge and kind of going in cold again, I was it was all familiar and comfortable, but I was kind of taken aback by how fast they got into the strangulation and <laughs> the sadness of what this episode is. Yeah, this one's really sad. Well, that's why it works better than so many pilots is because it doesn't spend any time... Because especially because the characters are so iconic for us now mm-hmm. that we don't need the backstory for them to go into the pilot. The audiences then didn't either because if you were watching the Simpsons Christmas special, presumably you'd seen the Tracy Simpsons Tracy Ullman shorts. Just kind of delving a little deeper into this this full-length episode, it's, it's kind of the saddest episode of the Simpsons I've ever seen just because it's completely revolving around how the Simpsons are financially struggling so badly that they could not afford Christmas presents for the family. Due in part to the fun shenanigans of, of Bart, Bart getting a yeah. tattoo and having really to get funny. it removed. Yeah, that's very funny. Yeah, because it's not that Bart gets a tattoo that it is the financial strain. It's getting it rid, getting of, the rid of the tattoo. <laughs> yeah. They get it laser removed at another kiosk in the mall. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, really, it's that's very a convenient. Joke. And I don't I like know. that tattoo guy, too. How old are you? 21, sir. Get in the chair. Get in the chair, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that character is in the background of a lot of the rest of that series, too, I'm yeah, pretty sure. Most Simpsons characters that work at a, at a specific place show up working at a different place later. 
Especially Squeaky Voice Teen, of course. Oh, God, love that guy. He's the best. Once we, like, get into this episode a little more, like, we, we get, you know, Patty and Selma mm. are up in there being the worst as always, and, like, usually in The Simpsons, it's based around Homer's faux pas that... Yeah, it's usually his fault. Yeah, and he it's usually a lot more funny of a solution that he will, like, try to embark on to, to fix things, but... I don't know. This time was just like, yeah, like it's the, a lot more grounded. The desperation of mm-hmm. like becoming a mall Santa to try to get Christmas present money. It's it's very it's very sad. I don't know it's, what else. To... Oh, it's it's heartwarming. It's touching. Just oh, the yeah. length he's he'll go to for his family. Of course, uh, in the end, with well, I think he gets like a dollar and change for his Santa mm-hmm. stuff. I thought that was a good bit. Or it's, <laughs> yeah, he's been working all holiday 13 season. Thirteen dollars. Yeah, you take income tax and like the. Santa training, the costume, beard rental. It's like all these crazy things that I make no sense. I go the same process every time I get my paycheck. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, yeah, I feel that. And then at that point we get to see our old friend Barney <laughs> tell Homer to try the dog track, which yep. out of options, that's the only thing he can literally do is take his son to a dog track on Christmas Eve to really try with their last $13 to get Christmas money. And they lose. They they bet on Santa's little helper, which, you know, is against the sure bet that Barney presents know to them. The, the dog was in the pilot. That's yeah, the whole it's, point of the it's pilot. It's great yeah. that the, because, you know, that dog has been alive for 35 years now and been through like seven snowballs. Yeah, they, like, they talk about the third dead snowball in the yep. first episode, I think, which is, is fun that they, they put that in there on the episode where they get the new dog. I mean, okay, first before we get to the the nice part, the last super depressing part that I can remember. And I remembered this uh, before I rewatched it because I actually owned this episode on VHS. You know, we had regular Simpsons episodes air, but that was the one we owned. And I always remember the image of Homer and Bart just, like, picking up, losing tickets in the parking lot. Brushing off the cigarettes. Like, (laughs) trying to find anything. It just, ah, it breaks my heart. Yeah. Also, there's a little bit of Gift of the Magi in this where... Oh, yeah, there is, actually. Marge is like, at least we have Homer's Christmas bonus. They're using the savings to pay for Bart's tattoo removal. And then when Homer finds out he's not getting a Christmas bonus, he's like, oh, at least we have the savings. Yeah, whoopsie daisies. He actually doesn't reveal that he is out of money until pretty late in the episode, mm-hmm. to the to the family, at least. Yeah. I think Bart, Bart definitely Bart knows, knows early. But back in that parking lot setup, it's, you know, you can kind of see where it's going from the start, but, like, the angry dog owner, like, get out of here, you losing dog, you never win me any money. Kind of also examining that, just a, a guy in a cartoon abandoning his animal, but mm-hmm. yeah, he, he finds a home with Homer dressed as Santa Claus, gets jumped on by Santa's little helper. It works perfectly. That's also one of my favorite lines in the whole special. He's a loser. He's pathetic. He's a Simpson. Oh, yeah. that's It's heartwarming stuff. Because mm-hmm. then, you know, they bring it back. Patty and Selma are ready to, you know, tear Homer's throat out for being a deadbeat father on Christmas. But it all works out for the Simpson family when they get a new member. That's why I like early seasons Homer so much. Is because he's not the idiot that the writers got convinced he is so much later in the series. That Homer has depth and cares yeah. about his family and is a good father. Like, he's still goofy and kind of stupid, but yeah. there's some humanity there. Well, there are beautiful points throughout the series where 
Like the the Maggie episode that gets memed a lot. Like do it for her. It's all the pictures. Yeah. Of yeah. Oh my god. Where yeah. he knows he's not the brightest, and he knows that he messes up sometimes, but he's always trying to make life better for his family, which is what makes everything past a certain point of The Simpsons so hard to watch. I think is because they just make him Peter Griffin. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty much what they evolve him into, and that's why. Wh- where do you, where's your cutoff on The Simpsons again? Like season season eight. That's what that's where you leave him. Damn, that's like twenty two seasons of <laughs> yeah. not the best Simpsons, which is a I bummer. View it like watch all of them up to eight, and then you can just kind of bounce around wherever. Yeah, you and there are like. some oh, yeah, good that's, episodes that's after. That's it's not a good that they're all bad, but it doesn't have the consistency that no. the first eight seasons do. That's for sure. But yeah, mm. this is a great episode of The Simpsons. It serves as a great pilot, certainly, yeah. and it is full of holiday spirit. Holiday spirit, indeed. Yeah, it's about everything you want. A Christmas special, right down to the the melting heart, right at the end. They do a, a lovely outro of singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer where Bart and Lisa keep interjecting with the fun parts of the song and getting in trouble from Homer. And mm-hmm. If that isn't The Simpsons, I don't know that what it is. That should happen to everyone who does the interjections in that song. How dare you? That's what makes that song gold. Ugh, no Christmas spirit over here, Garrett. I tell you. I like when people just do like a light bulb for everything. For everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's a very funny version of that. I've never heard that before. All right, gentlemen, what what are we moving on to now? I guess we're doing this in sequential order. We're going to the early two thousands with Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, a Lost Clause. It's like season three, so pretty far into here. I feel like they ran out of some of the ways to, like, keep the conflict with the imaginary stuff. So, like, belief as a concept is played with a lot in the when they're finally in the, the like, final run of it. This Christmas special is about atheism. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's yeah. about Mac coming, like, trying to rationalize Santa Claus and to, like, come to terms with if he exists or not. It's a rough one, too. It's it's a little more comedic than The Simpsons, but they still do hit some pretty heavy points in this one. It's never more on the nose where Mac is literally in his bed talking to the ceiling. He's like, just, please, just give me a sign. And then it's just confirmed Santa exists, so none of that mattered. <laughs> but, you know, because, like, in a... It's also in only... The only place where Santa is seen is in the imaginary friend's home. I thought that was a good bit. It's just a bunch of imaginary... Oh, Santa's no, no, but I mean, like, the evidence of Santa Claus... Yeah, skips over Mac's skips family Skips over Mac's home. home, and it is only in the home for imaginary friends, implying that it's, it's possible that it's only an imaginary facet. Of Santa Claus is existing. Like, Santa Claus exists because you imagine him to be. Because you will him to be, not because he is. Yeah. That opens up a lot. Just if you try to poke at the logic of Foster's for more than five minutes, the whole thing but falls I think, apart. But I think that's an intentional choice from the creators. Like, I think if they just wanted to have Santa exist, he would have woken up on Christmas morning with his underwear under the tree, the, the thing that he asked Santa for in right, his yeah. prayer. But no. Praise to Santa. He really does. He only finds physical evidence in the home for imaginary friends. I really think that's an explicit choice by creators in order to leave that a little bit more open-ended, a little bit more of something to think about. I like the animation style for this show. I think it's just fun seeing like all these wacky characters, like how they celebrate Christmas. I thought that was very fun visually. There's that very fun... <laughs> Blue keeps referencing how one of the other uh, imaginary friends said that we get eight presents, and then it's it's an imaginary giant dreidel. He's like, just me, actually. 
Because <laughs> uh, Moisha, yeah. Moisha the dreidel <laughs> bragging about Hanukkah. I love that. That was very fun. I like when he's uh, pulling the old Christmas Carol bit on Harriman. I just like Harriman's just instant acceptance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am the ghost of Christmas presents. Yo, you mean Christmas present? No. What was the other? There was a really other Bob Marley. Bob Marley instead of uh, Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley. Yeah, very fun stuff. Or in Muppet Christmas Carol, Marley and Marley as played by Statler and Waldorf. Yeah. Marley and me? I never finished that movie. Mexico. So it's, it's well, a... Seamus, the dog lives all the way through. It's yeah, everybody's I was happy. Say, it's, a ha- it's a happy family movie about a golden retriever that lives forever. I get it. <laughs> yeah. The real, the real main point of this one is just that it, it is the like trying to find evidence of like a higher power from a from a child who desperately wants Santa to be real. Yeah, I don't know how they got away with this. Just being a very explicit, like, is there a god? I don't That's know. Up man. To it's, you. It's it's interesting to see that this like got through on air on Cartoon Network. Because also, it deals with whether or not Santa is real in a very explicit... Like, ignoring the subtext of the religious part of it. But even just the idea that you're creating a Christmas episode aimed at children, younger children, mm-hmm. where you deal so explicitly for such a long part of the episode where your main character does not know whether Santa exists or not, or in fact says there is no Santa. Yeah, I think that could be potentially upsetting to parents and children mm-hmm. of the way that they handle it. So I think it was a risky... Thing to put on television. I can't quite pinpoint when I, I found out the Christmas secrets of the world, but like I feel oh, like kids, probably some... kids who are listening to this episode. <laughs> Santa is real. Don't ever give up hope. Ask for underwear. I was just gonna say like episodes of TV like this were probably what guided me to some certain realizations about Christmas, but the mall Santas are Santa's helpers. And yeah, Santa, exactly. So... They report directly to the big man himself. <laughs> That's what I was told. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I'll say that to to see such a a blatant like wrestling with this this very important question on a kids network when that question is so big for kids. Oh yeah. With all the like the reboot stuff going on, I think a reboot of Fosters would be I'd watch that. Upped animation, kind of rework the logic so it doesn't fall apart if you think about it for 5 minutes. Right. Could yeah. it be less manic? Truly. It's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think welcome that's the point. Reboot. It's supposed to be, oh, it's wacky. It's a big imaginary house. I right. was overwhelmed. Like, it, <laughs> oh, really? it, was, it was too loud. It was too high-pitched. It was, I, mm. like, I sound like an 80-year-old, <laughs> but, do. like, it was too much. And I'm a person who really likes cartoons. That's interesting. I, I loved that it was, was it so much. Was just the sheer amount of characters on screen? No, it was mostly Blue running around screaming yeah, about everything. Yeah, every and single I was, thing that and he's, Oh, boy. And now our most contemporary special. We got the the Toy Story that time forgot. Oh yeah, interesting stuff here. We we've talked about Toy Story on here before about how these shorts should have just truly been the the only continuation of Toy Story. Because this is a fantastic continuation of Toy Story's yeah. themes of Toy Story's characters, of allowing us to focus on different characters within the Toy Story universe. Just make the TV show. I just wanted the TV show that yeah. they clearly want to make. Th- that would have been, if they just did these shorts like a serialized show, it would have been perfect. Well, I would have loved that. I gotta say, I think I brought this up on an earlier episode. Trixie is one of, like, I think she's my favorite Bonnie new Tully, character. Yeah. yeah, just like, I don't know, I really like Kristen Shaw. It's fun to see her interacting with other dinosaur toys in this. 
She's great, and it's all yeah. about the joy of being played with, and it's a little bit of a retread of the first Toy Story of like, hey, look, you, I know you're new, and you just got gifted to this kid, and you don't know about the wonders of being a toy, and even that you are a toy, but it works really well. It's kind of a spin on that of like, Buzz Lightyear was the outlier yeah. of like the, the one toy that didn't know in a That's group of true. toys that yeah. did, and now it's like the tribe of <laughs> dinosaur warriors are like... Is that like a thing for all toys? Do they all have to go through that existential <laughs> crisis? It, it, uh, according to the Toy Story, everything we've learned in the Toy Story universe verse so far would suggest that yes, they all have... An existential crisis at the beginning, wow, where they believe wild. that they are the toy. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> yeah, for real. That's like really messed up. Here's the thing. This is getting into weird <laughs> territory. The only toys that we've ever seen grapple with this question are toys that were made in the digital era, or toys, or are toys that are pre-programmed, mm. where something to do with where. It. They all have electronic components. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not a record in the back of Woody. Yeah. It's it's a microchip. Buzz Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story Two. Right. Zerg, kind of, and then the Battle Source, which we see also have electronic components. And those are all of them, I think. I'm yeah. trying to remember most Toy of Story. Bonnie's toys too. Is, is the is the opposite of just like you know straight plastic or you know like or stuffed. Yeah, stuffed dolls animals maybe it has something to do with that modern toys are too self-aware like it's like it's uh, small like, soldiers like they're, pre- like they're pre-programmed almost yeah. to be this thing maybe it's that by guiding a character to something so specific that it doesn't allow imagination to take them as much that is a very interesting point here and i I hope the writers of these take as much care as you do as a fan <laughs> to like to connect things and like make make things make more sense in a world where toys are sentient. Maybe all of them but Toy Story 4, Seamus. Maybe all of them but Toy Story 4. I think we can agree there. We should probably talk about the content of the episode a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, it's uh, you know, it, we're with our girl Bonnie. Well, it's a Chris yeah, it's a Christmas special. We open Bonnie having a nice toy montage with my favorite new toy, Angel Kitty. Angel Kitty's great. The thing is terrifying. I love it. Who's <laughs> a weird prophet? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. That can disappear at will. Everything it says is so weird and ethereal. <laughs> yeah, for real. It is it is very strange, but I want it's more helpful. Angel Kitty stuff. I want they made a briefly an Angel Kitty plush that is like thirty dollars on eBay now. God damn. Oh wow. You're gonna have to save up some Toy Story money, I guess. When I went to the Pixar exhibit at the Museum of Science and Industry, they had plastic toys from this special, including <laughs> a pack that had the Rex with his arms. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that for a brief shining moment, Rex is able to overcome his inferiority complex because he has his giant arms. <laughs> so the two pack had Angel Kitty, but a hard plastic Angel Kitty, and Rex with his giant arms. It was like twenty five dollars, and I was like, maybe not. Damn, that would have been a good. That would have been great. You should have gotten that twenty five dollars, Seamus. Is it better than a thirty dollar plushie of only one of them? I'm not gonna buy the thirty dollar <laughs> plushie, am I? Why don't I believe you, Garrett? Why? Why are you crossing your fingers behind your back? Ricardo's the one that already pre ordered the Baby Yoda Funko Pop, Seamus. Ah, that is true. You're all shills. You're all shills. <laughs> Um, but we start, Bonnie is playing with all of her toys, and she won't let Trixie be a dinosaur. She just Identity keeps imagining crisis. Trixie is other things. And like a restaurant patron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a fun bit. She's a weird, sassy waitress. Bonnie. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. And then, you know, I, we, we get into our, we are getting our main segment where she takes her toys 
uh, to a play date with another friend. He got every toy you can imagine for Christmas and a PlayStation, and all he cares about is his PlayStation. Commentary. Commentary, indeed. And, you know, maybe that is also maybe why the battle sores are, like, so... Because they haven't been played with at all. Because they haven't been played all. with at yeah, all. I really like, like the shot set up where she just chucks her backpack into the room and it's shaped like a rocket, so it's there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like totally. crash landed on this foreign planet. I thought that was very fun visually. Well, totally. yeah, this is such a Buck Rogers, John Carter of Mars, very in that vein, where we've landed on a mysterious planet and there's this alien tribe that's going to hunt us for sport or make us fight in a gladiatorial arena. Christmas, am I right, guys? How <laughs> yeah. does this connect yeah, besides that they're new toys? It gets a little off track. The beginning yeah. and end are really good Christmas special fodder. And the middle is just a weird sci-fi parody. Yeah, for real. I've always been frustrated by Toy Story's unwillingness to commit to Christmas. They often show glimpses of Christmas. But Toy Story would fit so well thematically and just that world is so happy and playful. It would fit so well into a Christmas season. But they always get distracted. Yeah. And I wish that while they were still making these specials that they would have done a Christmas special that's really properly a Christmas special. That would have been nice. You know, kind of maybe parallels with uh, Toy Story 1 with the birthday theme Mm -hmm. of, like, getting these new things all at once. All in all, all the themes that you would expect in a regular Christmas special are hit here pretty well. Mm -hmm. Just, like, you know, acceptance, uh, sharing, like, being comfortable with who you are and, like, helping others sentient toys being destroyed in gladiatorial combat. That's what I do with my family every Christmas. I mean, that that clocks for me. The battle sores are, I think, a really fun property that they created for this special. I'm really impressed with, like, the world building that's clearly been mm-hmm. done behind the scenes that we only get to see glimpses of. Also, I want to throw in there that they used the battle sores in Kingdom Hearts 3 in the Toy Story world, where they wow. go on adventures with Buzz and Woody in this in this big shopping mall, and you get to go in this big toy store, and they are the main enemy that you fight in that entire world. So throwing that game on and like like seeing the callbacks to not just the you know main movies as a whole, but like really using the stuff they made with these shorts, it really it really made me happy to see that. Also, in Toy Story 4, the lunchbox that Woody stows away in to get to Bonnie's school is a Battle Sores lunchbox. Yes, it is. Love that. That's one of the things I do like about Toy Story 4 is that it shows a lot of world building that was made for the shorts and for the specials built into Toy Story 4. Yeah, exactly. Like, they stop at Poultry Palace. Combat Carl makes a (laughs) four-time appearance. It's great. Buzz and Woody finally show up in the arena after Chrissy loses them for a while. Holding a crayon as a weapon. Yeah, real Thunderdome. Dome style like, combat with crayons and stuff, and it's great. I, I love that part, even though it, once you get to the battle arena, you you forget that it's like a Christmas thing going yeah. on. But you know, it, it works all the way around once they get through that. And but at the end, Trixie shows the main battle sore the wonders of being played with, and he gets played with, and then the ending is a really sweet note where he's like looking out the window after Bonnie's toys have all left happy that he got shown the wonders of being played with and it shows all the different battle sores have been played with it's snowing on the ground and there's these nice warm christmas lights everywhere colorful christmas lights and it's just a really sweet conclusion so the beginning and the end work really well as a christmas special and the middle is a really entertaining engaging segment it's just not as much about the christmas part i don't mind it i don't mind that it's uh, it all rounds out really well and 
all the themes of a Christmas special you need are there. Plus, you know, dinosaur tribal warriors. Like, come on. That's that's great. That's it for our main segment. Merry Christmas, everybody. Fun Happy stuff. Happy Hanukkah. God bless us. Everyone. everyone. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Where's Riley? Ricardo, what's your guess? I think he might have left already for a break. I'm going to say that he's gone. I don't think he's in state. He's on the corner of Kenwood and Downer. Oh, Go get him right God. now. Everybody got that? He's heading to work. He's moving. He's a moving target. Find him. Do they all have tracking fobs? <laughs> now there's a dumb short we could make. <laughs> that three people would get? Yeah. Oh, by the way, everybody, we apologize for the constant thudding in the background of this episode. The weight room that is right next to the recording studio that we record in is in use at the moment and whoever's doing it does not have very good weight handling skills so we apologize if that's being picked up on mic but anyway let's move on to our pop culture reference for the episode gift of the magi gift of the magi so there is an o henry short story called the gift of the magi which i would presume most of you are familiar with where two characters a husband and wife are trying to get each other christmas presents but they're both very poor and each of them have one asset of which they are extremely proud. The wife has gorgeous long hair, and the husband has a treasured gold pocket watch. Now, the wife wants to get the husband a fob for his pocket watch, and he wants to get her a comb for her hair. But in order to buy each other these expensive gifts, she cuts off all her hair and sells it, and he pawns his pocket watch. So they end up with these accessories that they have nothing to use them with. So no one's happy, end of the story. But they are happy because they still have the love for each other, Ricardo. It's all about the Christmas spirit and loving each other. And you see this trope pop up a lot in different pieces of media. Sometimes it's a pretty direct adaptation, like um, I think it's in Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. That is the only version I know. (laughs) I don't know why that's the only one that's coming to me right now, but then also in The Simpsons uh, that we just covered, Simpsons Resting on an Open Fire, the pilot, that is clearly an inspiration for Homer counting on their savings and Marge counting on Homer's Christmas bonus and neither being available to them to buy Christmas presents. So if you can think of any examples of this trope being used in media, please go ahead, tweet us at PCR underscore podcast, or send us an email at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com, and let us know what your favorite example of this trope is. Now, on with the show. Now it's time for Mando Bros, where we cover the latest episode of The Mandalorian. This is episode six, The Prisoner. And I thought it was a pretty good episode. What do you think, Ricardo? I enjoyed it. I like the whole shutting down of the ship and like kind of picking them off one by one. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, yeah, we uh, the Mandalorian, he's been called in by an old friend that he used to run with on a job. They're putting a crew together to go do a jailbreak on a New Republic jail cruiser. The crew includes Bill Burr as a jerk you mercenary could, you guy. You can say that about every single one of these characters. Every single one of these crew people... It's just a huge jackass for no reason. But except for the fact that they're bad guys. Like the whole point is that they're. they're I guess, like, but I don't. I for some reason I just did not find them enjoyable. I didn't find them enjoyable either. But I don't think we were really. Like, you can be like a jerk and like a bad guy crime person, but still like be enjoyable. We weren't supposed to like them, so I didn't take umbrage with that. Mm. So we have Bill Burr, 
we have a droid named Zero, played by Richard Aode. Aode what's his name? The guy from the Ape Crowd. You know who I'm talking about. Um, not Chris O'Dowd. Okay, the guy with yeah, the I hair. Know, I know what you're talking about. Um, he also directed Submarine. Oh, okay. Uh, he's really funny, that actor. And he's the voice of the droid. So they're just going to find either British or New Zealand to be comedians <laughs> to be droids. Clancy Brown is the devil? Yeah, the, the, the devil... I can't remember what that species is called. It's like Devilorians or something. Oh, it's that on the nose. It's huh? that on the nose. Because they named it back when they were making episode four. Mm-hmm. Because that species is in the cantina. Yeah, Clancy Brown, who is a great character actor. I love seeing him pop up and stuff. And then finally, a Twi'lek, which is, I believe, the first in-canon... Maybe they say it at one point Rebels, but I believe it's the first in-canon confirmation of the way to pronounce that species' name because there's been some debate about whether it's Twi'lek or Twi'lek. Mm-hmm. But they call her Twi'lek in the show. Played I... by Tonks from... Oh, that's who that is. Harry Potter. Natalia Tina. I like Bill Burr's gun backpack thing. I thought that was really cool. I like the episode as a whole. It's just like, I found those characters a little grating. As we learn when they get to the ship, the guy who they're going to break out is another Twi'lek. It's, it's the first male Twi'lek I've ever seen. Yeah, I think, uh, me too, from what I can remember, because the only other one, I, the, the two other Twi'leks I can think of are Harrison Dula from Rebels and the first slave that gets eaten by the Rancor yeah. in Return of the Jedi. They break him out of prison, and then they find out this is also an elaborate revenge plot yeah. because it's we don't get the backstory, but essentially the Mandalorian used to run with this crew and is the reason this Twi'lek ended up in prison to begin with. So they lock Mando yeah. in the prison and are going to steal his ship, which has Baby Yoda on board. They're going to straight up shoot Baby Yoda in the face. Yep. Mando cunningly escapes. I thought all those action sequences where he's like pulling the, the droid in with his like rope and then yeah. just splatters oil all over the door. I thought that was pretty great. And but it's basically a horror movie for a little while where he's just trapping yeah, them and really picking cool. them off one by one. I liked it, especially I think it was when Bill Burr's character is walking down a hallway and there's a strobing white light in the hallway behind him. Every time the white light flashes, the Mandalorian's slightly closer to him. Yeah, it's a, also just a very horror movie edit where he screams and it cuts to like something else. Yep. They never show the Mandalorian actually harming any of them. Mm-hmm. Which we get the reveal at the very end of the episode that he didn't actually kill them at all. Yeah, they're that just they're, in that a he, cell. That he trapped them in a prison cell. Because at the beginning of the heist, before they reveal that this is an elaborate revenge plot on the Mandalorian. There is a lot of time dedicated to whether or not they're going to kill the one actual organic being that is on this facility, who's actually played by Matt Lanter, who is the voice of Anakin Skywalker on The Clone Wars. But the Mandalorian does not want to kill him, and all of the rest of them want to kill him. He's become a better person since the beginning of the series. Because of this baby. Because of Baby Yoda, who is in a lot of danger in this episode. But specifically, on the ship early in the episode, Bill Burr finds him in the hiding place where the Mandalorian keeps him and is threatening him. Yeah. And also, when they come out of hyperspace, drops him. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Like, drops the baby. And I literally shouted, no baby Yoda, <laughs> when he dropped the baby. How many episodes are left again? So we've got two more episodes left. Ooh. I'm hoping the last two are more connected. 
I'm kind of digging this anthology. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what we're building towards. I, I don't know. I kind of wish that we'd been getting a little bit more of that. We, because we know Carl Weathers is still out there. Mm. And we saw him on a hologram a little bit. Like, it was the episode two slash episode three transmission that he sent the Mandalorian. They reminded us that Carl Weathers is still out there. Yeah. And also we got whatever mystery character was looking over Ming-Na Wei at mm-hmm. the end of the last episode. But I thought this was a really well-directed episode. It had a lot of really good action in it, a lot of tension, and also we're learning a little bit more about the Mandalorian's past as, like, a mercenary slash bounty hunter. Oh, yeah, the, the helmet thing. They're really leaning into that, so it's going to come off. End of this season, or do you think they're going to wait? I think definitely by the end of this season, it's going to be, like, probably, like, the last shot of this whole season is going to be, like, he takes it off. It sounds like he's a little older than maybe we think he is because we already had the idea that maybe he's older because we know he was a kid during the Clone Wars, which mm. was a while ago. Takes off helmet, he is 85. Well, that's kind of what I'm thinking, honestly, is maybe he's super old because also we hear the guy who puts this crew together, who he, who the Mandalorian used to run with, saying that we were all super young then, and this guy's not young at all. This guy's old. He's, he's too old. great, big, bushy, white beard. Yeah, so... I'm wondering if either his species ages slower, or maybe that's all a red herring, just like Baby Yoda being 50 years old, and maybe he's, like, still kind of a kid. He's 17. Yeah, like, something like that. I, I think I think definitely we could be in for a big surprise about what age he is. That's really it. It's a pretty bare bones, yeah. just breaking in, breaking out. We get the droid staying on the ship and hunting Baby Yoda. Honestly, I was caught up in that. I was... In the tension. Well, I was really hoping Baby Yoda was going to use the Force on him, which we see him start to do, mm. and then the Mandalorian just shoots him. I really wanted to see him just crush that droid That's into a little ball. That's what I was hoping, too. That's what I was hoping. Like, that he was going to, like, crush something inside of him. Because he's only used it the once. Yeah, he's only used the Force the one time. Well, we've seen him try to use the Force to help heal the Mandalorian, mm. and then he uses the Force on the Rhino, and then he tries to use the Force here, when part of the droid explodes and he falls to the ground, at first, Baby Yoda looks at his hand like, oh, did I do that? <laughs> and then, no, it's the Mandalorian. And this episode was directed by the same guy who directed episode two, whose name is Rick Famuyiwa. I remember us specifically calling out what a good job he did on episode yeah. two, and now he's back again for this one. So, But yeah, I think that's it for Mando Bros. Let's move on to Save the Rec Center. Now it's time for the segment that we like to call Save the Rec Center. Seamus, what do you got? This week, my rec center is, uh, we were actually talking about it pre-podcast, I've started re-watching The Wizards of Waverly Place, and by God, you know, it's a Disney sitcom, so there's it's going to be a little rough around the edges regardless of anything, but between the older brother and the dad, they're both absolute gold in this show. They do a lot of fun wizard shenanigans, and... I never finished it all the way, and I'm planning to now, and I think everybody else should too, including both of you, because you missed it, Garrett, I think. You're, it was b- beyond your era, but Ricardo, I know you know more than more than Garrett, and I think you yeah. should re- do a rewatch with me. Seamus, what corporate dystopian media service can we find this on? Oh, well, it just so happens to be streaming exclusively on Disney+, Plus. promo code pop culture reference. Oh, I wish. Oh, one day, listeners, <laughs> one <got> day. <laughs> the original series, they've got the movie, they've got that hour-long special that came out after the series wrapped. Oh, jeez. 
Well, either, either way, it's I'm only on season one so far, but it's really funny, and the the special effects are horrendous. So, like, <laughs> give it a shot just for that alone. Is it as bad as the Sweet Life Halloween special special effects? It's worse, I think. It's like the oh, yeah. worst. Trying to do magic. It's the so worst it's green bad. screen you have ever seen. It's it's great. Ricardo, what's your rec center? Uh, I'm gonna repeat myself. In the Heights, go listen to the album. Go find a, a bootleg, I guess. I don't, it's a great show. It's Prep yourself for that movie. I, don't, I got real emotional watching that trailer. Is there an officially released Broadway recording of it? I so wish there was. Why is that not a thing? Why are theater companies so resistant to doing that? It's probably for a price thing. Like You got to go see it live. But it, I don't know. That just feels silly to me I because feel, you can make a lot of money yeah. selling those because... After something's done with this initial Broadway run, people who don't live anywhere near a coast yeah. will pay to see good theater. Like, I don't know if uh, like a professionally like shot version of In the Heights exists, because uh, I don't know when they started doing it. Yeah. But I know for a fact one of Hamilton exists where they shot it. Yeah, I know I know they shot it with it's him. like in a vault somewhere. Yeah, they're just waiting until they can build enough hype to release it and all this, you know. For Hamilton, it makes a little bit more sense to me to keep it secret because they're trying to build the hype to release mm. it. But, I mean, like, Memphis is a show that I know has a really well-done Broadway recording. And as a kid, I grew up watching a DVD of the original Broadway cast of Into the Woods. Like, I used to watch that all the time. I loved that. I really wish those were more accessible to Mm -hmm. people. Because even if you do live on a coast, you just... There's a very high chance you couldn't afford to go. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. The album. Go check out the album on Spotify. Yep. And my rec center is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is the new Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers movie. Usually I'm pretty weary of biopics. I think that the standard biopic formula is really myopic and not really a fair assessment to either history or filmmaking. But I think this movie did a really good job of figuring out what kind of story it could tell without seeming exploitative of Mr. Rogers Mm -hmm. and also not trying to force all of Mr. Rogers into a two-hour movie. Yeah, I I haven't seen it, but I've heard real good things. I know it's it's not a straight biopic. It's just like a couple weeks of Mr. Rogers' life. But yeah, go see Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It makes some really daring formal choices. Yeah. And then also Matthew Reese, who is from The Americans on FX, is finally getting like a really good kind of meaty big screen role, and I'm really glad about that. And he plays the journalist. The journalist, which is usually a framing device I really hate, especially in biopics. But what are ones that you? I know my week with Marilyn, and I my week with Marilyn. Any other examples? Jackie, Chaplin. Jackie's the. Th- yep. Oh, okay. She's talking to Billy Crudup, but this movie does it really well. It doesn't go the same way with that framing device that most movies do. So yeah, go check it out. It's really good. Tom Hanks is really good. Matthew Reese is really good. It has a great supporting cast. Anyway, that's it for us. Sorry about the delay on last week's episode, but go listen to that, too, even though it didn't come out on time. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Next week, it is Christmas for us because we're talking about Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. So next time... You hear from us, we're going to be hopefully really hyped out of our minds. Hopefully there's not a ton of angry people. There's going to be a ton of angry people no matter what, but hopefully we will not be those angry people. Rest assured, you'll hear our thoughts next week on our very next episode of Pop Culture Reference. Have a great weekend.